Well, good morning. We're in a series entitled Enter God, about Jesus' incarnation, about God's Christmas presence. And we've seen that God's entrance into the world was glorious, and it was astonishing, and today we're going to see that it was personal. Because, you see, love doesn't just sit idly by, does it? It gets involved. When a need presents itself, love doesn't look the other way. It doesn't merely talk or theorize or just think too bad. It acts. It does what it can. It gets personally involved in the solution. Karen Kingsbury does a really good job in one of her true stories from the book, A Treasury of Christian Christmas Miracles. She tells this story. Adam Armstrong received the call just after nine on Christmas Day while on patrol with the sheriff's department in Akron, Ohio. A woman was weeping loudly in a corner booth at a truck stop on the highway outside of town. Several patrons had grown concerned and contacted the sheriff's department. Armstrong sighed and he turned his patrol car in the direction of the truck stop. As a veteran officer of eight years, He'd seen so much pain in the lives of people that he could only imagine what might cause a woman to weep aloud in a truck stop, especially on Christmas Day. As he drove the remaining three miles, he remembered how the pain people suffered had been the reason he had joined the police force in the first place. He had ridden along with a police officer one night as part of uh, research for a local newspaper story that he was writing. The first call of the night involved a woman who had been badly beaten by her husband. Armstrong watched as the officer handcuffed the man and led him away. He saw the relief in the woman's face and suddenly something clicked. He might write a thousand stories about good and evil in the course of a lifetime, but none of them could do for that woman what the police officer had just done. No story could ever rescue her from her pain. And so Armstrong sought police work the very next day. He never once looked back. And now, eight years later, his love for his work was as strong as it had been in the beginning. Despite the danger and the frustration that came with the job, there were always nights like this one in which he could still make a difference for someone in pain. So not sure what he would find, Armstrong entered the truck stop cafe. It was aglow with Christmas lights, and he immediately spotted the woman still weeping, her face covered with her hands. Nearby sat two frightened little blonde girls who seemed to be around four and five years old. Armstrong's face softened as he approached the children. What seems to be the matter, girls, he asked them. The older child turned to look at him, and Armstrong could see that she had tears in her eyes too. Daddy couldn't get us no Christmas presents, so he left us, she said. He put our stuff out of the car while we was in the bathroom. Armstrong's heart sank. He studied the woman and he gently placed a hand on her shoulder and then he looked at the girls and smiled a warm, comforting smile. Well, now is that so? And the children nodded. Well, in that case, I want the two of you to climb on those stools over there and order something to eat. Reluctantly, the girls walked away from their mother and took separate stools along the counter. And Armstrong signaled the waitress and asked her to get the girls whatever they wanted from the menu. And with the girls out of earshot, 
The officer sat down across from the woman. She looked up from her hands and stared sadly at Armstrong, her eyes still filled with heartbreak. What's the problem? Armstrong asked. It's what my girl said, the woman replied, wiping her tears. My husband's not cruel. Just at the end of his rope, we're flat broke, and he figured we'd get more help alone than if he stayed. I've been sitting here praying about what to do next, but I don't even have the money for a phone call. It hasn't been a very good Christmas, sir. Fears, fresh tears appeared. But right now, I just want to know that God is listening, you know? Armstrong nodded, his eyes gentle and empathetic. And silently, he added his own prayer, asking God to show him a way to help this woman and her little girls. Armstrong believed with all of his heart that God had used angels to protect him in the line of duty on more than one occasion. And he had faith that he could do the same for this family. She needs an angel about now, Lord, he prayed silently. Please help her out. Armstrong broke the silence between them. Do you have family? The nearest is in Tulsa. Armstrong thought a moment and then suggested several agencies that could help her. As they spoke, the waitress brought hot dogs and french fries to the children. So the officer stood up and moved toward the counter. He took out his wallet to pay the bill. It'll be my Christmas present to her, he thought. The boss says no charge, the waitress says. We know what's going on here. And so Armstrong smiled at the woman and he nodded his thanks. And then he stopped to ask the girls how they liked their food. And as he did, a trucker stood up from his table and approached the waitress. He mumbled something to her. And then she took him by the arm and led him to Armstrong. It was unusual for a truck driver to approach Armstrong on his own. (laughs) Typically, truck drivers and police officers had something of a natural animosity for each other. Most truck drivers tended to see the police as cutting into their earnings by writing them tickets, while the police saw truckers as reckless people who placed their potential earnings before safety. The truth, of course, was somewhere in the middle. But still, Armstrong couldn't remember a time when he'd been approached by a truck driver outside of the line of duty. The trucker wore jeans and a t-shirt and a baseball cap. He walked up to the counter and he stood alongside Armstrong. And the officer noticed that the normal buzz of conversation and activity had stilled and the cafe was silent. Most of the patrons, nearly all of them long-distant truckers, were watching the conversation between the trucker and the officer. Excuse me, officer, the man said. Here. The trucker reached out his hand and gave the officer a fistful of bills. He cleared his throat. We passed the hat. There ought to be enough to get the woman and her girl started on their way. Back when he was a boy, Armstrong had learned that cops don't cry, at least not in public. And so he stood there speechless until the lump in his throat disappeared and he was able to speak. And then Armstrong shook the man's hand firmly. I'm sure she'll appreciate it, he said, his voice gruff from covering up his emotion. Can I tell her your name? The trucker raised his hands and backed away from the officer. Nope, just tell her it's from folks with families of their own, folks who wish they could be home for Christmas too. As the trucker walked away, Armstrong counted the money and was amazed. A small room of truck drivers had in a matter of minutes, (coughs) excuse me, raised $200, enough for three bus tickets to Tulsa, and food along the way. The officer walked back to the booth and he handed the money to the woman, at which point she began to sob. He heard, she whispered through her tears. 
ma'am? Armstrong was confused, wondering who the woman was talking about. Don't you see, she said. I came here completely desperate, hopeless, and I sat in the booth and I asked God to help us, to give us a sign that he still loved us, that he cared for us. Armstrong felt chills along his arms and remembered his own prayer. How he had asked God to send help and provide this woman with angelic assistance. The truck driver certainly didn't look like a textbook group of angels. But God used them all the same. You know, ma'am, I think you're right. I think he really did hear. And at that instant, a young couple entered the truck stop and they saw the sobbing woman. They approached her without hesitating. They introduced themselves and asked if they could help in any way. Well, the woman said, I could use a ride to the bus stop. And Armstrong stood up and he walked discreetly away from the scene to a quiet corner of the truck stop where he radioed dispatch that the situation was resolved. And then he walked away toward his patrol car and he climbed inside. And not until the safety of being out of the sight did the tears start to come, tears that assured him that he would never forget what had happened that night in a truck stop. As a patrol officer, he almost always saw the worst in people around him. But that night... He'd been reminded that kindness and love do exist among men. And Armstrong had learned something else. That sometimes God answered prayer using nothing more than a dozen big-hearted truckers sharing coffee at a truck stop outside of Akron, Ohio and playing the part of Christmas angels. You see, love caused each of these people to do what they could. There was a need. There was an abandoned mom and her two children. And so Officer Armstrong went beyond the call of duty to be kind. And the waitress and the owner of the cafe took care of the food bill. And this ragtag group of truckers passed the hat. Because, you see, love gets personally involved. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us that first Christmas. If you haven't done so already, inside your celebration folder is the message notes. And at the top, I have this verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 3, paraphrased by Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase the message. Listen to what he says. <coughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says this, that God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. But in his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. And he entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. You see, we had a need. Mankind was marred in sin. And so Jesus laid aside all that was rightfully his as part of the Godhead, and he took on the limitations of flesh. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Advent is about. Advent just means coming. That Jesus, in very nature God, part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, stepped into his creation. Why in the world would God do that? It's because we had a need that only He could satisfy. And love gets personally involved. 
If you have a Bible with you this morning, why don't you take it and turn with me to our main passage, John chapter 1. If you don't, that's okay. It's there on that on those message notes as well. It'll be on the screens behind me in just a minute. But we want to look at John chapter 1. You know, you can read Matthew and Mark and Luke, and you get all the details of Jesus' advent of his coming. And it's a great story. I mean, the story of God calling a teenage virgin to interrupt her plans to be part of this bigger grand plan of God. Of an arduous trip to Bethlehem. Of this king being born in a barn of all places. With smelly animals and manure and a feeding trough for a cradle. Of shepherds and angels. All these great details. But here in John's gospel, he bypasses all of those details. And he instead deals with the greater cosmic aspect of what's going on. That's where he starts. Of eternity intersecting time. Of God stepping from outside of his creation to be part, a member, a player in his very own creation. Of this greater cosmic battle that's going on between good and evil, between God and Satan. So that's where John begins here in chapter 1. So follow along with me. Let's, let's, let's see this together. It says, beginning in verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then it says, he, this word was, was a person. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And then he said, there was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself wasn't the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives meaning to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then verse 14 declares that the word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one that I spoke about 
when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through, now he names the word, Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The all-powerful creator God becomes helpless. The no-boundaries God confines himself to the limitations of a womb. I mean, can you imagine God putting himself in a scenario where he becomes dependent upon his own creation to sustain him? That that the all-knowing God puts himself into a situation where he needs to be taught by others as a child growing up. Mark Batterson says that we're more comfortable thinking of Jesus as divine than we are of thinking him as human. But Jesus was divine and human. And he humbly took on all that it means to be limited. All the limitations of being in flesh. He took all that on at his incarnation. And God did that for me. Why in the world would God do that for me? It's because love gets personally involved. You see, there was this cosmic aspect going on. Sin needed to be atoned for so that redemption could be applied to me. Satan needed to be defeated in order for me to be able to become a child of God. Did you pick that up? When I was reading through John 1, did you see it in verse 12? It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it all begins with Jesus getting personally involved in his creation. This gospel that we speak so easily about did not come easily or cheaply. That Jesus would come and then ultimately die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. But it all begins with an advent. With a coming. With a choice to get personal. You know, there were a lot of journeys with that first Christmas. Mary and Joseph's 70-mile journey from Bethany to Bethlehem. The shepherds traveling from out in their flocks into town to find this manger where the Christ child, the king, was born. Magi following a star for years until they finally happened upon the place where the long-awaited Messiah was. 
But you know, the greatest journey was the journey from heaven to earth. The journey that Jesus made for you and for me. I love the way Dick Foth puts it. He says, Jesus said this, I'll leave my place and come to your place and then I'll take your place so that we can go to my place. That's the message of Christmas. So maybe you think, man, this is all great, but I mean, what, what's the actions to this? What's the responses? What, how do I apply this? Think, I mean, I mean, I've heard this story. I mean, in fact, maybe you think every time I come to church, I hear this story. And maybe that's because you only come at Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> but listen, if that's you, that's okay. I'm not fussing at you. Really, come. Really, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Sincerely, we're glad you're here. You keep coming at Christmas. But you say, well, but what do we do? What, what, what do we, what's our response to this incredible story of Jesus personally coming? Well, I think there's a few. Here's the first one. Is to make sure you're clear that you have taken the step of personally receiving this gift that Jesus came and died in order to make available to you. Again, the words from John 1, verse 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision are a husband's will, but born of God. To be clear that you've done that. See, it's not a matter of just believing this story. It's a matter of do you belong to this story? Andy Stanley says this, Jesus didn't come to make your story better. He came to invite you into his story. And so have you done that? Have you accepted that invitation? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you're a religious person. I'm not asking if, if, you, if, you're, if you do good things. I'm asking, have you taken that step? Are you sure that you've taken that step? This cosmic battle that Jesus fought, that he entered his creation on your behalf to win. Have you received that? And if you're not clear on that, then this Christmas season, don't let it get past you without embracing that for yourself. And if you need to talk to talk to me, talk to one of our prayer partners, talk to someone you came with, make sure that you know, that you know, that you know that you're clear. That you've entered into this story yourself. A second application, maybe for those of us who are clear, that have done that, is to ask this, well then who is it? And how is it that God might be calling me to get personally involved? To meet the need of someone else. You see, when a need presents itself, love doesn't look the other way. It doesn't merely talk or or theorize or just think too bad. It acts. It does what it can. It gets personally involved. 
in the solution. I read this story in Joel Osteen's book, The Spirit of Christmas. I wanted to share it with you. I was, I was going to try to do my best Joel Osteen voice, but I, I can't pull it off. I, he and I both, you know, pastored struggling little churches in Houston, but he's a little more Texas twang than I have. So, so just imagine, I guess. But this is from his book, The Spirit of Christmas. Here's what he says. He says, one of the highlights of our childhood Christmases was a big dinner with our pilgrim grandparents. No, these pilgrims didn't come on the Mayflower or wear funny hats. Pilgrim was their last name. Roy and Georgia Pilgrim. They were my mother's parents, Texas born and bred. Salt of the earth. Solid folks who worked hard, lived humbly, and always gave a helping hand whenever they could. They weren't just our grandparents. They were like a second set of parents and a constant source of love and support for all of us growing up. Whenever our mother and father went off on a church mission or a vacation, Granddaddy and Grandma Pilgrim stayed with us. Along with Christmas, they'd come four or five times a year, and we were thrilled. Our grandmother would make wonderful meals for us, and our grandfather would mow the yard and fix things around the house and at the church too. He'd teach us to work with wood and on cars, and he'd take us uh, hunting and fishing along with driving us to school and church and all of our games and practices. Mostly, though, our grandparents made sure we felt loved. They were the most giving and reassuring grandparents we could have had. We were very, very close to them, which is the reason our annual Christmas dinners with them were so special. I realize now that, the one, that one of the things that our parents and grandparents gave us for Christmas that was most valuable was memories. Not just memories of good times and holiday fun. Sure, we had those too. But every holiday season and other times too, they would share with us the stories of their lives. These stories not only gave us a deeper sense of who they were, but their recollections also helped us understand who we are. I encourage you to do the same with your children and grandchildren, your nieces and nephews and all the young people under your care. On Christmas and throughout the year, share your lives with them. Teach them what you know. Guide them around the pitfalls that you encountered. And most of all, let them know that they are loved. My grandfather was generous in passing down so many good things. His hunting and his fishing skills, his mechanical abilities, his wise ways, his solid faith, his giving nature. Each of the kids in our family benefited in some way or the other from the shared stories of our parents and grandparents. It wasn't just their love and their stories that our grandparents shared. We shared. We were some of the uh, most blessed teenagers in the world when it came to one particular gift that they always gave us. Granddaddy Pilgrim didn't spend much on material things, but he loved his cars. He'd buy a new one every three years or so. Of course, that was back when you could buy a new car for $3,000. And so his car buying habit was a boon for me and my brothers and sisters. One Christmas when Paul was just about to turn 16, Granddaddy Granddaddy announced that he was preparing to buy a new car. And so uh, he'd be giving his old car to Paul. You know that our grandfather didn't exactly hot rod around town in his cars and our grandmother didn't even drive at all. So these hand-me-down cars were like brand new. 
And on Paul's 16th birthday, Granddaddy Pilgrim tossed him the keys to his 1967 Buick Skylark. The sleek car was gold with a white roof. It didn't have air conditioning or seat belts, but it sure beat walking. And Lisa drove that same car when she was in high school. Tamara and I shared another vehicle handed down from our grandparents. This was a green Buick LeSabre. We called it the tank because it was so big. But we sure didn't complain. Well, I complained a little the night Tamara ran out of gas late one night during her senior year. The car died a few blocks down the road from our house at the bottom of the hill. And she walked home, woke me up at midnight and begged me to help her push the car home with the empty tank. It was a struggle since neither one of us was over five feet tall and 110 pounds at the time. Our pilgrim grandparents are both gone now. But we still talk about their generosity and their kindness. I think of them nearly every day and especially at Christmas time because it's when all of our family members come together and I miss being with them. If you have or had grandparents like our pilgrim grandparents, I know you too must appreciate them all the more this time of the year. But if you didn't have the gift of a loving and supportive family, I encourage you to be that gift for someone else. It doesn't have to be a relative. It can be a friend, a co-worker, or just someone you know who is alone or hurting over the holiday. We tend to think of Christmas gifts as toys, clothing, or jewelry that we buy and wrap up in paper and ribbons and put under the tree for one another. But the quiet examples... And the soft places to land provided by caring people like our pilgrim grandparents are some of the greatest gifts of our time. A helping hand, a listening ear, simple words of encouragement and support. These are the presents wrapped in love and caring. They may be small gifts handed out just now and then, but over the year they add up to so much scripture teaches that at every opportunity we should do good to all people galatians six ten, and i'd like to think that we all all hold that in our hearts most of us want to be good to those around us but this is the time of the year when we should think about putting that thought into action being proactive and thinking whom can i bless today whose needs can i serve whose christmas blessing can i be philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 7 says this in your relationships with one another have the same mindset is Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Well, how? What's, what's the example we're imitating? It says verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. 
he got personally involved in our need. And so whose Christmas blessing might God be leading you to be? It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grandiose. But who is it? Whose need is it that Jesus might be asking you to get personally involved in order to meet? Well, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you that you would do this for me, for each of us. To give up all that it meant to be God. To take on all the limitations that it meant. That in humility to come. Thank you. And God, I pray for any, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl who's here that, you know, maybe, maybe they've heard this a lot. Maybe, maybe they've, they've been around church or maybe they haven't. But for them, they're just not sure that they're sure that they're sure. God, give them the courage to take the steps to make sure this Christmas they get it crystal clear. That they know that they're your child. That they've received the invitation that you came and died to make available to them. God, help them take that step. And Lord, for those of us who have taken that step, whether it was this year or years ago, Lord... Help us hear your voice, the leading of your spirit about who it is, what need it is that we need to yield ourselves to. That whose Christmas blessing we need to get personally involved in order to meet. Lord, guide us, direct us, use us all for your glory, not for our own, we pray. Amen. You know, prayer partners, if you're here and you want to make your, oh, look, you're already there. Good for you. There's a third action step, and that is to worship. Because, you know, that's the only logical response to such good news, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, a Savior has come into the world. That that night where the, the angels appeared to the shepherds, and they said, we bring you a message of gospel, of Good news that a Savior has been born in the city of David. And so what was their response? They went and they worshipped. And so that's what we're going to do. And as we do, if there's something that we can pray with you about, if there's something going on in your life, maybe it's got everything to do with what we've talked about or nothing to do with what we've talked about, don't miss while we worship. To just come to one of these people, they would love to pray with you, to pray over you about anything that's going on. But we're going to worship this incredible Savior who left heaven. He, he came to our place, left his place, came to our place, and then took our place so that we could go to his place. Let's worship him for it. Let's stand together and worship.